together into thy word in this morning hour. We would ask for the presence of thy Holy Spirit to be among us. And that he would do his work in the hearts of all those that are gathered here, starting with myself here at the pulpit. Heavenly Father, guide us now as we look into thy word together and teach us from the same. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this past Wednesday, um, we looked together at uh, a very familiar uh, parable of Jesus, the parable of the sower and the seed. And um, I was leading that discussion, and we spent a fair bit of time uh, looking into the context of what Jesus was speaking and why that was important, why it was different. Uh, but we did not spend a whole lot of time on the parable itself. So with the Lord's help this morning, I'd like to spend a little bit more time looking at that. But we're going to read from the account of the, the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. So if you'll turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, the 13th chapter. We'll start right from the first verse. Matthew 13, beginning at verse 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who have ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seem, see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they 
For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye hear and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he no root in himself, but dureth for a while. But when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word, and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. I've read until the twenty-third verse. For those that uh, were listening on, on Wednesday when we spoke about this, you know, sometimes we take a common parable or a common lesson, and because we have heard it many times before, um, it kind of puts a gloss on it, and we, we have a hard time putting ourselves in the shoes of those who would have heard it for the first time. And because of that, we may miss some fundamental but very important things about the parable. I'm not going to recap everything we talked about on Wednesday, but I'd like to just highlight a few things. In another gospel that also refers to the same parable, when the disciples didn't understand it, Jesus asked them a rhetorical question and said, do you not understand this parable? If you, and I'm going to paraphrase, if you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand any of the other parables? So this parable is important. It's important because it establishes a, a, a groundwork that will help you interpret the rest of Christ's parables. So let's back up for a moment now and, and just remember what it was like before Christ began his ministry. John the Baptist shows up in the wilderness of Judea and begins preaching, and he says, his message is very simple, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is coming. Repent, turn around, get your life right, because the kingdom of God is coming. That's what he told them. And the interesting thing is that when Christ begins his earthly ministry, he has the exact same message. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is at hand. Now, for his messenger, for his, for his listeners, they would have listened to that, and they would have maybe had two reactions. One was, perhaps, these prophets, these men of God, are preaching that the kingdom of Israel is going to be reestablished. I mean, if there's going to be a nation on earth, that's the kingdom of God. Surely it has to be God's chosen people, Israel. So that must mean that the Romans are going to be thrown out and we'll have our land back again and we'll rule again. 
And perhaps this will even be part of the broader pro uh, prophecy that uh, God will establish his rule throughout the whole earth, as was foretold by the prophets in the Old Testament. That could be one way of understanding that, that this is what this message was. But that was not Christ's message. The kingdom of God is something that he preached about and, and, and told his hearers about, but he said something very, very important. He said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. You're not going to say, lo here or lo there. That's where the kingdom of God is. He says, behold, the kingdom of God is within you. That is a fundamental truth that we have to realize when we talk about the kingdom parables and when we talk about Christ's parables. Christ's parables are about the kingdom of God, and that kingdom is primarily an inner kingdom. Now, that's not the only thing it is. The gospel is the good news, and if you want to actually expand that definition, it's the good news of the kingdom. And the good news of the gospel is that the kingdom can come into you, into your heart. And as it comes into your heart, it will spread and it will grow. Christ gave parables about leaven, about seeds, about things that grow and flourish, about the mustard seed that grows. And it will grow inside of you and fill you. And that kingdom will continue to grow as it fills individuals. And so eventually, that kingdom will grow so great that it will cover the entire earth. If you remember the prophecy from Daniel, there was that stone that was cut out of uh, without hands, it says, and was, was thrown down at that big idol that was set up in, in, in the vision and smashed it into pieces, but that, it didn't end there. It grew until it filled the whole earth. And one day, the whole earth will be full of the glory of God. You can read about it in Revelation. That doesn't mean that the church has a mandate to spread the gospel by a fire and sword or something like that, as some have interpreted it. No, absolutely not. Remember, the kingdom is an inner kingdom. It has to affect the heart. It starts with the one who hears, but then it spreads. So this kingdom of God is a kingdom that comes first to the inside and spreads. Like a seed. Jesus lays out some things for them, and it's interesting to note that Jesus simply preached the parable to the people that were standing there and left it. He offered the public no great exposition. He just simply gave it to them and said, if you have ears to hear, hear it. You know, it says the common people that came to hear Christ heard him gladly. They realized that there was something in there for them. But to the Pharisees and to those who came to find fault, these parables were a puzzle and a riddle. And the words of Isaiah the prophet were fulfilled in them, that seeing they shall see and shall not perceive, hearing they shall hear and they shall not understand. And their hearts as waxed grows, has become great, swollen, it cannot receive the word of God. This is important today, because the same thing happens every time the word of God goes out. In whatever form it goes out. Remember, as we go through this, you'll, you'll see this. The sower uh, is, is sowing the seed, and the seed is the word of the kingdom. In the time that Jesus spoke this parable, he was the sower. He was the one who was giving the word of the king kingdom to those who would hear. But of course, Jesus is no longer here in the sense of a bodily, physical teacher who roams around giving parables and, and lectures and, 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 and sermons. 
He has returned to his rightful place at the Father's right hand. But his body is still here. We read that as well. And so the work of the sower continues. Those that are part of Christ's body continue to sow the seed in whatever uh, position or place he has placed them because the kingdom of God must spread. So if you are not spreading the word of the kingdom and you claim the word of the believer, be careful. You're not active, consistent with the message of the kingdom that it must spread. So the disciples asked the obvious question, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he, Jesus gave them a few interesting words that I'd like to spend a moment on. He says, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. I'd like to come back to that. And then verse 17, For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them. And to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. This word that Christ was giving was a special blessing to the disciples that were there. And it was a special blessing to them because this was a new thing that God was doing in the earth. Scripture calls it a mystery here. The mystery of the kingdom. And the mystery of the kingdom is very simple. It's exactly what I've explained to you. That the kingdom that is coming is not necessarily a physical kingdom, but it's a kingdom that must start from within. And that in order for that kingdom to spread in, in the heart of man that Scripture calls deceitful above all things and full of wickedness, it needs to be cleansed. And it can only, things can only be cleansed, ultimately, by the presence of a holy God. So the mystery of the kingdom, as I've already said, is that the kingdom of God comes within you, but the only way the kingdom of God can come within you is that if God himself will come and dwell within you. Jesus had to say to his disciples when they pointed out the, the impressive building that was the temple in Jerusalem in those days, he said, you see all these all these." These great buildings, I say unto you, one stone shall not stay upon another. They're all going to be thrown down. And when the Samaritan woman met Jesus at the well, he had to tell her, look, lady, you don't know what you're talking about. There's coming the day when they're going to worship neither in Jerusalem nor in that mountain, Mount Gerizim, where the Samaritans worshipped. He says, those that worship the Father are going to have to worship Him in spirit and in truth, and it won't be tied to a location. We're thankful for this building. I myself personally have spent many, many hours here trying to, to make it beautiful and functional for the purpose that we've designated it. But God does not dwell here. He is not confined by walls. Heaven is His throne. Earth is His footstool. What house will He make for me? Says the Lord. Kingdom of God comes within. But where will he dwell? He says, in the one who is of a contrite heart. That becomes the temple of the living God. And that is the mystery of the kingdom of God. The truth that was hidden. And I would dare say that this truth, this mystery of the kingdom of God, is hidden probably to 75 to 90% of the professing Christians of the world. What a disappointment it must be to the Father. That they don't get this. 
when religious leaders try to throw their weight behind political movements? How is that consistent with the kingdom of God that comes, in, comes inside the heart? What law will you write to create righteousness? It's impossible. Even when God himself gave his law to his people, they couldn't keep it. No. The mystery of the kingdom is that it starts in the heart by the grace of God. That's the good news of the kingdom. Because nobody is barred from this kingdom. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that the good news? You don't have to be an Israelite. You don't even have to be a good person. Good being a relative term. God, Christ himself showed that by going to, to the worst of society. And they heard him gladly. And Jesus had to say, they enter the kingdom of heaven before you to the, to the Pharisees, the, the, the religious elite of those days. Now, there were many prophets and righteous men that desired to look into this mystery. God gave them little glimpses in the past, and we can see from the prophecies how they were given like a little keyhole view of what was coming. But they couldn't put it all together. They desired to look into those things, but it wasn't the time yet. In the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a virgin, into the world to share this mystery of what the kingdom of God was really. Listen to what else he says. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. And if you would look into those words, you would see, you could also translate that as, even that which he, he, he seemeth to have. There is no place for false pretense before God. The Pharisees that came to Christ confident in their own righteousness were turned away. But the sinner that professed their need to God, Lord, be, be merciful to me, as the, as the publican cried to God in the temple, he went away justified, it says. Okay. So we see now how that prophecy really is fulfilled. And you can see now how blessed the children, uh, the disciples around Jesus were to hear these things. Abraham and the righteous of the past would have, would have greatly desired to be among those twelve and to hear those words, but to them it was not given yet, because it was not time. So Jesus now goes into the parable itself. Hear ye therefore parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he that receives seed by the wayside. As the sower was sowing his seed, the seed, the seed is always the same. The good news of the kingdom is always the same. When it is given to people in its fullness, the seed is just as powerful if it lands on the wayside versus if it lands into good ground. There's no fault when it comes to the seed. But where it lands on the wayside, that hard spot where there was no spot for the, for the seed to find a, 
uh, earth to, to settle into and put down roots, it says the birds come. And the birds probably didn't even wait until the sower was done with the field. As soon as they saw there was seed there that wasn't being received by the ground, they were there. This is the way. When one either doesn't understand what he hears, or when one resists what he hears, Satan makes sure that the seed doesn't stay along, stay around for very long. That's a dangerous spot to be in. Now, does that mean that we should avoid areas when we sow the seed on behalf of the, of, the, of the sower, Jesus Christ, when we sow as part of his body, should we avoid certain areas because they are a low percentage return areas? No, that's not what the sower did. He sowed. Because you never know where there's a little crack, perhaps, in that roadway, where there's a little bit of earth that's, that's been collected there. And it's interesting to see how a seed, even in difficult circumstances, can sprout. Now that seed, the, 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 the hard ground, is one that probably doesn't show up all that much in the church. There may be some that are forced to come to church and have absolutely no interest in it, and what is said of the, of the wayside here is true of them. There may be some that are pressured into coming and absolutely have no interest in hearing the word of God shut their ears as it were. But I think this group is not maybe quite as prevalent inside the church. And that's why I'd like to spend a little bit more time on the other groups. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. The one who hears this time likes what he hears. He likes the message of the kingdom. It resonates with him. It makes sense that the change has to come within because we see so many problems coming out of our own hearts if we're honest. We see that the problem with this world is not actually income inequality. The problem is the greediness of the sinful heart of man. When we realize that the problem is actually the heart, then we're ready at least to receive the initial sowing of the Word of God. He receives it with joy. Yet hath he no root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the Word, by and by he is offended. Now this offended means to stumble or to fall. What does this look like? Well, there are many things that are appealing about the Word of God. And I think mainstream Christianity, and especially the, the brand of the televangelists, have really made hay with the, with the attractive things of the kingdom of God. And that they put on large display. Who wants to go to, to eternal damnation? Who wouldn't rather go to eternal bliss and have the way paid for for himself? Receive title to a mansion on Main Street and all the other silliness that kind of goes along with that. There are things 
definitely in the Gospel of God that are very attractive. Joel Osteen, for one, he's made a reputation for himself of all sorts of things like that. Your best life now. God wants your happiness. <laughs> That's only a half-truth. God knows that you will only be truly happy when you align your life with His. That's where you will find fulfillment. Anything short of that is unhappiness. But what do you do with a book like that when there are Christians suffering incredible deprivation and persecution in prisons or in other countries where they are persecuted and even killed for the sake of the gospel of the kingdom? Where is your best life now? This world is a world of, of, of shadows, a twilight world between the glory of, of God's eternal day and the night of hell. It is a place where we see both the goodness of God and the, and the awfulness of sin at the same time. And God calls us to choose. So yes, the gospel has a lot in it that is wonderful good news to the thirsty heart. But for those that do not take the whole gospel, there are things in there to be offended as well. It's interesting to see that the word here does not say what the stone actually is. Just that when testing or persecution or difficulty arise, there are no roots. Prevents the forming of good roots and the continuing spread of the kingdom of God. It brings no fruit to perfection. The kingdom of God does not, is not fully uh, um, realized in such a heart. And here I think we can find examples among those who call themselves Christians. If a Christian is one who receives the word, what do we do with parables like this? Well, the only answer is we need to look at our own hearts. Are there things that God is asking of us that offend us? Does that still small voice tell us that we are giving too much time and too much effort to the pursuit of money, to the pursuit of knowledge apart from God, to the pursuit of anything, a relationship maybe, that God would want us to place second to Him? Remember what Christ said, that he, that whosoever does not hate father, mother, husband, wife, children, for my sake, is not worthy of me. Those are hard words. But if you do not recognize the, the primacy, the first place that God needs to occupy as king in this kingdom, everything else falls apart. The hatred there is not literal hatred, it's hatred by comparison. Every other relationship must come second to this kingdom. 
Every other thing must come second to this kingdom. You see, the kingdom of God as a king. I mean, that's pretty obvious, I guess. But you could also translate that kingdom of God to the rule of God. The king rules in his kingdom. That same word can have a, a similar meaning in the Greek, apparently. I'm certainly no Greek scholar. But if you are not willing to bring yourself fully under the rule of the king, what are you in the kingdom? At the very least, you're a rule breaker. One who's working against the authority of the king. I don't know at what point these different grounds represent a spiritual loss to the point of, of, of rejection by God. I don't know that. And I'm thankful I don't know that. It just says here, it brings no fruit to perfection. I'll let God be the judge of which, which are the tares and which are the wheat. He says he will do that at the end of the age. But we need to be careful because the kingdom of God must come first within us. So where there is a rock that is, that, that is causing offense, that is preventing the rule of the kingdom of God from being fully exercised in your life, it needs to come out. Whatever that is. You've heard me say it before. Offense is more often taken than it is given. And if we hang on to offense, it becomes a rock that prevents the spread of the, of, the, of, the, of the word of God, the word of the kingdom, and the kingdom of God in our hearts. It has to come out. Whatever God asks you to leave and to remove, it's got to come out. The kingdom will not spread until it is removed. And you're in danger of perishing. It says it withers away. Is that, a, is that like a wilted plant that just doesn't have the power to bring forth fruit? Or does it mean it's actually dead? I don't know. But the longer that that rock is there, preventing the roots from going down, the more the sun parches it, and the more likely it is to be dead without remedy. It cannot be brought back no matter how much water comes to its, its, its aid. And so that's a lesson for all of us. If there is something that is holding back the spread of the kingdom in your own heart it needs to come out. The principle also applies on a larger level. This is why I love the parables of God. There are, there are principles here that can be extrapolated into other things. The same principle operates in the church of God where there is something that is offensive to God and to the spirit that needs to come out. Whether that's favoritism or turning a blind eye to sin, that will prevent the spreading of the kingdom of God. Be careful. Jesus also gave that startling statement when he said, if you do not forgive your, your brother, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. That's a big rock that needs to come out. That's a dangerous rock that needs to be removed. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. And I think here we see the majority of the church in the West. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, the word of the kingdom. And so the kingdom does not spread. And the entertainment venues, well, 
we have a pandemic now, but the entertainment venues and the sports stadiums can be packed to capacity in the church. I remember hearing this, and it's, it's sad, but it's true. You know, when we first had our restrictions placed on us by the government because of the pandemic, they said it's limited to 30% capacity. And someone made the uh, uh, snide comment, 30% capacity for a church on any given Sunday is pretty good. That's like, yeah, you're right, aren't you? For most churches, 30% capacity on any given Sunday is not so bad. Why? Because even among those who have received the word of the kingdom, it is not spreading within them because of the thorns, because of the tares, because of the weeds that grow up and choke it. We see this in the example of the rich young ruler who came to Christ. And Christ said, okay, you want me to speak law to you? I'll speak law to you. Go sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. And it says he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Those thorns were too big. Too big. In my mind's eye as I was reading this, I was thinking, so what exactly does our church, our denomination look like in context of these parables? What sort of a field is it? If we could see that field, would it look well tended where weeds are quickly pulled? Where, where, where stones are removed? Or will we see a, a mediocre harvest at best? Would we see more weeds and thorns than useful plants? And only a few here or there actually bearing any fruit? This is a weight. This is a weight, I think, on all of us. We need to ask ourselves, why is it that the church can spread under such intense persecution in other places, and yet here, even our own children don't hear the word of God, don't receive it, are more like the wayside, perhaps, than the good ground. Each one will stand or fall before his master. You won't be able to point to someone and say, well, it's because of him that I... I wasn't able to receive the word of the kingdom. No, God in his justice and his mercy and his power will see to it that the seed is sown. And you will each answer for yourself and your children, my children, will answer for what they have done with the word, with the seed. But I will also answer for how I have helped tend that patch of ground and prepare that soil for the seed. Not just my own cares of this world? Are we more fascinated and interested with the latest theories, the latest bits of news, the latest political currents than we are with the spread of the kingdom? Is the deceitfulness of riches just a little bit more in my retirement is secured? super rich, just comfortable. That's all. Is that so bad? Well, if it's preventing the spread of the kingdom of God, yes. Yes, it's bad. We came with nothing and we will leave with nothing. You know, the 
example, someone at a funeral had passed away, quite a wealthy man. And after the funeral, there were some of his acquaintances gathered together and, and discussing. And uh, the pastor who had had the message, uh, the funeral message, overheard them talking, and they were they were debating about how much money he had uh, he was worth. And uh, so the pastor inserted himself into that conversation. Says, "Hey, gentlemen, gentlemen, do you want to know exactly how much he left behind?" They said, "Yeah, yeah, how much?" He said, "All of it. All of it. It all got left." That's the truth. That's the deceit. The cares of this world. The cares of this world are always so pressing and so immediate. And they always seem to be just for a short duration, too. Once I get past this, once I'm through this, once I'm done with school, once I find someone to settle down with and have a, have a stable home, then... No, no. Ask any old person who's seen a lot of life. They'll tell you that the cares never really cease or go away. You don't reach a spot and now you've arrived and, and the cares disappear. There's always a new one. There's always a new concern. Where those cares interfere with the spreading of the kingdom of God in us, we're on dangerous territory. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. You know, I'm encouraged by this verse. I'll tell you why I'm encouraged by this verse. Because it says thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And you know what? Jesus doesn't say anywhere in any of those parables that it was the fault of the, of the plant for not bearing a hundredfold. Isn't that a relief? To know that we just have to prepare the ground to receive the seed. And as long as we are uh, seen to it that there are no obstacles for the spread of the kingdom of God within us, he will bring forth fruit as it pleases him. He will provide the strength for that. We don't have to worry about the results. Isn't that a weight off your shoulders? Because it's really easy for us to compare ourselves to others. Look at that person. Look how many things they've done for the kingdom of God. Why is it that the people that I talk to, they never seem to respond much? Why is it I don't experience the same fruitfulness maybe as someone else. Don't worry about that. Remove the rocks. Watch for the thorns. Sow the seed, of course. And God will take care of the rest. He'll provide the increase. He tells us that. What a relief it is to know this. When we think about the kingdom of God and its spread. We only have to worry about the things that are going to get in the way of the kingdom of God. We don't have to worry about how it's going to spread. And where, where men and women have tried to influence how the kingdom of God spread, they've often gone into problems. The kingdom of God is within us. 
those of us that are believers. And so our first concern is with our own hearts. If we will take care of that, I believe I can promise you on the word of God that his kingdom will spread in a, in a meaningful way. I had a sermon a number of weeks back now about the coming of the, the promise of the Father, the Spirit of the living God. When the hearts of the believers were cleansed, cleaned up, when these, when these, when these rocks were removed and the thorns were pulled, then the world got to see what a group of believers who were letting the kingdom of God spread within them look like. And it says the Lord added daily such as should be saved. You read about that. 3,000 people in one, one sermon. 5,000 in another. The word of God spread in spite of persecution, in spite of difficulty. And they went everywhere preaching the word, it says. That's what it can look like. And I think sometimes when the fires of persecution burn, it becomes clear what kind of ground is there. And for those that choose to align their lives with the kingdom of God and say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth and in me, like it's done in heaven itself, then the kingdom will spread. And one day, Christ says, it's going to fill the whole earth. All of those that are his will see that day. Whether they died before it or are alive at his coming, they will see it. We will see how it all happens. And in that day, we'll all wish we had been more diligent to remove the thorns and the rocks that were in our own heart and slowed down or or, or or prevented, at least in us and among those who are around us, the spread of the kingdom of God. So may his kingdom come, first in us. Amen. Isn't it wonderful, the word of God, the word of the kingdom? You can see how the common people would hear gladly the words of this teacher. But he wasn't just a teacher. As we heard in the prayer, at the end of his teaching, he gave up his own life that we may have life. And there, the mystery of God was finally fully revealed in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This was going to be how the kingdom of God will fully come through the power of the Son. Let's tend to the plot of ground that is our hearts. Let's do those things that will nourish the seed. The scripture says, speaking and singing to yourself songs and hymns and spiritual songs. That's a good way to encourage that spiritual growth and fruit bearing. But not just that. Kind words. Good things. What sort of things are lovely? What sort of things are true? What sort of things are good report? Think on these things. There's plenty of evil in the world, as we heard in the prayer. Plenty of evil. God knows it. 
Nothing's hidden from him. But think on those good things. Think on the Son of God who gave his life for each one. May the Lord add whatever was lacking. This concludes our service.